Yeah, that was a lot less of a rounding applause than I thought we'd get from my boy. So let's thank you. You don't even know you don't even know who he is. Reed, I Reed, I want you to know that I'm a little jealous because I ask them every week how y'all doing, and like four people get excited. And then they just said the name Reed and like girls just went crazy. I don't I don't know. That's right. It's it's a little strange. His wife is here, so calm down. But uh, but no, we uh, we just finished up a series last week called Foundations, talking about the the elements of finding firm footing in your faith, especially as you start this journey of finding Christ and following Him. And and I've asked my friend Reed here to come and speak to us. Uh, Reed is one of my closest friends for ten years. He's one of, been one of my one of my best men. He was in my wedding. I was in his. Uh, we've kind of had this career path of ministry together, uh, doing it in the same county. He's one of the best I've ever seen at what he does, and I'm not just hyping that because he's here. I tell people that all the time, and I'm excited for the message he has for us tonight. It is extremely uh, in line with what we've been talking about and where we're going, so I'm going to hand the mic off, but again, that was like, that was mediocre, like that was vanilla. Y'all can be even louder and just embarrass him, so let's do that, and then get ready because he's going to teach to us tonight. That was great. Um, sorry that I'm very hoarse. I am the father of a one, almost two-year-old, and uh, she doesn't realize that you're supposed to cover your mouth when you cough, and so instead, she gets about this close to me, and then just goes, and I'm like, Ehh. and so now, um, yeah, I've got something, so uh, I blame her. So you guys, hopefully that won't be too distracting. Um, we'll just go with it, and if my voice totally gives out, um, I'm somewhat fluent in American Sign Language, so um, I'm not at all, so... But yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll roll with it, and I've got some water behind me, so hopefully you guys aren't too annoyed by my voice. But as Matt said, my name is Reed Moore. It's a funny name. It's kind of a sentence, a command, if you will, and some of you put that together before. Some of you are just now getting it. You heard it the first time. You're like, what? I don't get it. And now you're like, ah, right? Like, so funny, right? And uh, I, am, I am Gwinnett County, born and raised. Uh, I'm from just down the the way a little bit in Snellville, Georgia, booming out in South Gwinnett like Lou Will. I mean, man, y'all didn't know I knew the Drake album. And so, yeah, so, so I'm from South Gwinnett. I went to South Gwinnett High School, and then I went to the University of Georgia after high school. I know. Whatever, yeah, 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 barking, yeah, exactly. And so, I know, the, their bark this year is more like, you know, um, but yeah, so, so I went to the University of Georgia. There I met uh, the girl of my dreams, uh, the one that would become my wife. Uh, we moved back to Gwinnett County. We got married, and I've been doing ministry here in Gwinnett County ever since. And so I'm excited to get to be over here with you guys. Uh, this, we're going to have a fun time tonight. Cool? So, growing up in Gwinnett County, right? Growing up in Gwinnett County, something that you grow to love in Gwinnett County is that you grow to love football, right? Is anybody else in here a football fan? Yeah, yeah, some of you are like, I don't even care. Well, it's fine. Uh, and so, yeah, I grew up loving football, especially college football. Any college football fans in the house? That's what's up, right? College football, that's where it's at. Um, I, I grew up loving college football. As a matter of fact, right, the, the new playoff, like, top four just came out. I was a little disappointed. I'm not going to lie to you guys, right? Like, Alabama being number four. I mean, I know. Hey, we got an Alabama fan in the house. We'll have a prayer for you afterwards. And, uh... You can repent, give your life to Jesus, and uh, stop worshiping the devil, Nick Saban. So, 
Golly. Y'all, I'm spitting fire already. This is going to be trouble tonight. So, so, right, like all that came out. Now, going to the University of Georgia, you guys can probably guess who I'm a big fan of, right? Yeah, you would be wrong if you said the Georgia Bulldogs, though, because actually, even though I went to the University of Georgia for not four years, five years, had to do a victory lap. And so, even though I went to the University of Georgia for five years, I am, in fact, a diehard Florida Gator fan. Yes. Man, I thought I was going to get booed. I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah, haters. Hi, haters. Um, so, so, I actually grew up. Uh, like and, and I am a diehard Florida Gator fan. As a matter of fact, all five years at the University of Georgia, I was known to frequent football games wearing my orange and blue instead of red and black. I think I have some visual proof of this. Oh, yeah, yeah there we go. This is me at the floor. That, that's Matt. Just so y'all know, that's Matt Hayes. I know. Just rocking the, uh, uh, uh. this is before he had the flow flow. Um, and he was still working. Puberty had just hit. And so, <laughs> rocking that beard, right? So, I'm still waiting. I'm not hating on him. I'm still waiting. I can't even grow a beard. So, yeah. So, that was, that was me, right? I'm a diehard Florida Gator fan. I know some of y'all are like, oh, my gosh, I can't even, I hate you, right? Like, and you don't even want to hear the rest of what I have to say. But before you write me off and tune me out, I, I, I want to go ahead and tell you why that glaring contradiction is allowed to be in my life, right? Like, why it is that I could go to Georgia for five years, and yet still consider myself a Florida Gator fan. Good, I'm glad you took that down. Um, and so the reason why I ended up uh, the way that I am it has a lot to do with the way that I grew up. So I grew up in a house divided. Y'all familiar with this term, right? I had a dad who went to the University of Georgia, diehard Bulldog fan. And I had a mom who, I still have a mom, and I still have a dad. Sorry, I don't know why I was talking about in the past tense, right? Like, oh, that was terrible. Um, no, like, they're, they're fine. So I have a dad who's a diehard Georgia fan, and I have a mom who's a diehard Florida fan. And growing up in my house, this is what game days looked like, right? Like, one's a Georgia fan, one's a Florida fan. But my dad, you guys, growing up as the Georgia fan, something that you need to know. One, he's a lunatic fan. You know what I'm talking about? Like, those people that are like, oh, yeah, and, like, barking and, like, throwing things. And they're, like, like yelling things. Like, there was lots of yelling in our house. And uh, I learned so many cuss words at such an early age. Like, I mean, he, dude was just wild, right? Now, the other thing that you need to know about my dad is not only is he a crazy fan, but he's also an alcoholic. And so growing up, you mix alcohol and crazy fandom, and you end up with a really, really ugly recipe, right, for disaster. And, and so growing up, right, around my house on game day, um, man, it was, it was bad. It was, it was embarrassing at times, and at other times, it was just plain scary. Uh, my dad would, would do and say things uh, while watching these Georgia games that would make me embarrassed as a kid. I remember um, when I was growing up, I never wanted people to come over to my house in the fall because I was afraid that my dad was going to say something that I was going to have to apologize for later. I was afraid that he was going to say some kind of like a racial slur or he was going to say something that I was going to have to be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, I can't believe he said that. And so I never wanted friends around. I also remember that if the Bulldogs lost, it was even worse. Like my dad, he would actually, like there would be times where he wouldn't talk to us for the rest of the day or the rest of the weekend. Or at one point, like one time when Georgia lost to uh, Mississippi State before they had Dak Prescott, um, they lost and my dad didn't talk to us for a whole week. And it was like, what? 
And I can remember as a young boy, 10, 11, 12 years old, growing up, watching my dad do these things. And I can remember saying to myself, if that's what Georgia Bulldogs are like, then no thank you. No thank you. Now, on the other hand, right, you had my mom. Now, my mom, you guys, if any of you ever meet my mom, what you'll notice about her is that she's, like, one of the coolest people in the world. She's, like, one of those people that, like, she's, like, 55 right now, but she's really 25 in her heart. She's like, oh, my gosh, hey, you know, and she still dresses cool, and she's still, like, peppy and, like, fun. And so, like, my mom is, like, really upbeat and, and just one of those people that you like to be around. Like, so she was super fun. And when the Florida game was on, she'd be into the game. She's like, oh, my gosh, go, you know, like, and, and, if, and if Florida was doing good, she was like, yeah, yeah. And then if Florida, though, was doing bad, it was, like, not that bad. She was like, oh, my gosh, we suck, you know. And so you were just like, oh, this is kind of cool, right? Like, like she's, not, she's not, like, freaking out. And, and then when the game was over with my mom, like, the, when the game was over, the game was over. And she wasn't, like, you know, taking it out on us for the next weekend or the next week. It was just like, hey, you know what? We can go on. Let's go get dinner. Let's hang out. It's good. And I can remember as a young boy looking at my mom and going, hey, you know what, if that's what Florida Gator fans are like, I guess that's what I'll be. I guess that's what I'll be. And I say all that to say this, that isn't it funny the way that one person acts can affect the way that you view an entire group of people? Like, isn't it funny the way that one person acts, their actions can affect the way that you view an entire group? group of people, the way one fan act affected the way I viewed an entire sports team and an entire university, right? Like one person's actions can affect the way that you view an entire group of people, right? You know this to be true. You know this to be true. You've seen it happen, the way one person's actions have affected the way other people view maybe an entire university, maybe an entire sports team, maybe an entire business or organization, maybe an entire political party or people group or part of the country or or an entire religion, right? The way one person acts can affect the way we view an entire group of people. You've probably experienced this in your own life, right? Like even just going to a restaurant. Like if you go to a restaurant, and if any of you have ever gone to a restaurant and gotten really, really good service by like a waiter or waitress, you're like, oh my gosh, this place is fantastic, right? Like you go to Chick-fil-A the first time, and like the second you take a sip, they're like refill, and you're like, whoa, my pleasure. And you're like, what? Like it's like, I am coming back here, and I'm bringing my friends, right? Like, and so... It's just incredible, right? Like, like, like you, you want to go back, right? Like one person's actions. But now, have you ever been to a restaurant and it was like really bad service? And you have like a cup of ice and you're like, hello! It's like, you know, and like they, they just ignore you the whole time. And you're just like, what is going on? This place sucks and I'm never coming back. You know, like one person's actions. Or if, if you played sports growing up, if you've ever had a good coach, Right? Like, you know you fell in love with the sport. You were like, this is the greatest sport ever. This guy's amazing, right? But if you had a really bad coach, you're like, I hate this sport. I'm never doing this again. This is, this is awful. Uh, if you've ever had a really good teacher, right, chances are you fell in love with that subject. If you've ever had a really bad teacher, chances are you're like, I'm never doing that again. It's terrible, right? One person's actions can affect the way that we view an entire group of people. And that's a powerful thought for us to think about. And that's something that we should pay attention to. And it's a really big deal because the same thing is true, you guys, when it comes to the way people view God. And when it comes to the way that people view church, and when it comes to the way people view Christianity in general, right? One person's actions can affect the way people view our entire belief system, right? It can affect the way people relate to God. One person's actions, right? 
I would be willing to bet that every single person in here, right, knows this to be true. And I would be willing to bet that every person in here knows at least one person that wants nothing to do with God, wants nothing to do with church, wants nothing to do with C12, simply because how they were treated by a Christian. I'd be willing to bet that. You guys, that was my story. That is my story. Right? You see, for me, growing up, I told you guys I had, you know, dad that was an alcoholic and stuff like that. And so um, for, for us growing up, like, church was mom's thing. I didn't really grow up in what you would call, like, the Christian household. My mom was a Catholic, and so she would go to church every Sunday because if she didn't, it was like he was going to be like, no. And so she was like, all right, I got to go, you know. And, um, and, and then my dad, though, he would stay at home, and he would watch NFL football, and he would uh, mow the grass. And so when we were real little, my mom would drag us along, and my brother and I would play G.I. Joe's under the pews, right? Like, hey. And so then in middle school, I dabbled in going to youth group every now and then. We went to, I went over to this one youth group that had pretty girls, and I thought I could pull. And so I was like, hey. And so uh, I would go in middle school. I went to youth group a little bit. But then when I was, uh, you know, finally when I got into high school, I was like, nah, this is not for me. Church is not for me. And I completely walked away from Christianity and church and, and stuff like that, and I wanted nothing to do with it. And I'll tell you this right here. The reason why I walked away from church and I didn't want anything to do with church had nothing to do with what the church was teaching. It had everything to do with how I was treated by church people. The reason why I didn't want anything to do with church had nothing to do with what the church was teaching. I was okay listening to sermons and listening to what the church had to say. It had everything to do with how I was treated by church people. And there's one time in particular, you guys, that will forever stand out in my mind and in my heart uh, that I remember. Um, That's just a great example of this. Um, when I was going into my senior year of high school, right, my junior year had been a wreck, right? My junior year had been an absolute wreck, and, and um, I knew I needed some help. I knew that if I didn't turn my life around, like, I was probably going to die or end up in jail or something. And so I was like, okay, I've been in trouble with the police. I've been in trouble with my parents. I've been in trouble with my coaches. i got to turn some things around. And my mom, uh, my mom suggested that I go back to church because she was like, your boy needs Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And so she said, you need to go back to church. You need to go check out the youth group. And, and for some reason, I was receptive to the idea. And I said, okay, I'm going to go check out the youth group, right? And, and so I took my girlfriend at the time, and we went over to the youth group. And when we showed up, there were these, like, nice people out front. There were, like, guest services, you know, whatever. I don't know. They were like, hello, we're glad you're here. Welcome to fellowship, you know. And um, I know, rub our bellies and rainbows come out. And so I was like... I was like, oh, super nice people. And so they were, you know, welcoming people, and they were, you know, shaking hands and stuff. And I remember when it got to be my turn in the line to get a name tag, the girl who was giving out name tags, she recognized me from school. And she knew my reputation. She knew the kind of trouble that I had been in. She knew the things that I had probably done that Saturday night before Sunday walking in that day. And I remember when, she, when it got to be my turn, she looked at me and she said, why are you here? I know, it's a right? Like, I don't hit girls, but I wanted to, right? That was what my soul did, you know? I was so frustrated. I was so angry. I was so hurt. I was so hurt. You see, I was already worried, you guys, walking in that day. I was already worried that I wasn't going to fit in. I was already worried that day that when I showed up that things were going to be a little bit weird. 
I was already worried that I was going to see somebody that knew about my reputation and that was going to look down on me. I was already worried about how the whole thing was going to go. And the way that that girl treated me right then, it communicated to me that she was not for me. And because of that, I began to believe that God must not be either. You see, you guys, the way one person treats you can affect the way that you view an entire group of people. And the way that one person treats you can affect the way you view God and a relationship with God. And it can affect the way or whether or not you believe that God could be for you and that God could actually love you. And that's what it did for me. And what I want to talk to you guys tonight about is this, hey, Christians in the room, what are your actions communicating to others about the God that you serve? Because whether you like it or not, Christians in the room, whether you like it or not, somebody is looking at your life to try to figure out what God is like. Somebody is looking at your life to try to figure out whether or not God could be for them, whether or not God could love them, and your actions are going to communicate something, some sort of message to them. You see, guys, I'm convinced, and this is a sad truth, I'm convinced that in our culture today that we as Christians are known way more for what we're against than what we're for. I'm convinced that we're known way more for what we're against. As a matter of fact, I think if you were to walk around and to ask people, hey, you know what, like, like what are Christians for? If you were to ask them that question, I think that people would kind of be stumped. Like, I don't know. Like, uh, Republicans? Uh. I think maybe they'd be like, uh, like, Chick-fil-A, I hear they do a lot of journaling, Um, maybe they would say like crappy movies or shots fired, right? Um, Maybe they would say, I mean, maybe they would say like Instagram pictures of nature with scripture. I'm like, (laughs) like, I don't know. I don't know what they would say about what we're for, right? But now if you were to ask If you were to ask people out in our culture that aren't sitting here tonight, if you were to ask them, what are Christians against? Oh, my gosh, right? They would have all different kinds of things. They're against two-piece bathing suits. They're against short shorts. They're against yoga pants. They're against having fun. They're against parties. They're against alcohol. They're against gay people. They're against Democrats. They're against um, public school. They're against abortion. They're against cussing. They're against, like, literally, like, the list would just go. And you'd be like, whoa. And now here's what I'm saying. I'm not not saying that we shouldn't be against some of those things. I'm just saying that if all people know is what we're against and they don't know what we're for, then we've got a problem. Because it's really, really hard for the world to believe that God is for them when all they see from Christians is what we're against. It's really hard for the world and for people outside of the church to believe that God could be for them when all they know from Christians is what we're against. And so my question that I want to ask tonight is, well, what are we for? What should we be known for? What is it that we should be known for the most? What is that thing or things that we should be known for? What is it that we should be communicating to others so that they can understand that God is for them? And the good news, you guys, is that Jesus makes it very, very clear what it is that we should be known for the most. And that's what I want to show you tonight. We're going to pick up tonight in a passage of Scripture. And don't put it up there yet. I'm going to set it up. But we're going to pick up tonight in a passage of Scripture that comes out of John chapter 13. 
And in this passage of scripture, Jesus, right, knowing that he's about to come uh, to the end of his life, he knows he's about to walk into Jerusalem, he knows he's about to be betrayed, he knows that he's about to go to the cross in order to pay for our sins, he knows these things are about to happen. And what that means is that he's about to hand off his movement and his ministry to these guys that have been hanging out with him for the past three years. And so Jesus takes every opportunity that he can to sit down and have conversation with these guys and to make it abundantly clear, hey guys, this is what you should be known for the most. This is what people should think about when they, when they think about you. This is what people should experience when they encounter you. I want to make it abundantly clear what it is that you should be known for the most. And so let's pick up in the middle of this conversation. Jesus says to them in John chapter 13, Uh, Verse 34, and I'm reading from the ESV. It's extra special, and it's near and dear to my heart, so I'm just going to read it from there. It says this. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So Jesus is talking to these guys, his closest friends. And he says, hey, you know what? There's one thing. If you're going to be known for one thing, if people are going to experience one thing from you, if people are going to be identifying you by any one characteristic, he says, it's this right here. It's love. Jesus is letting these guys know. He's like, hey, you know what? The most Christ-like thing that you can do is to love the person next to you. The most Christ-like thing that you can do is to love the person next to you. He says, this is what we should be known for the most. This is what should come to mind when people hear the word Christian. This is what people should experience when they encounter you. It's this word right here. He says, it's love. And I love the way that Jesus very simply unpacks this, something that he does in this little short couple verses. Uh, Something that I love that he does is that he doesn't put qualifiers on who we're supposed to love. He just says, one another. Whoever the other person is, he says, you're you're called to love them. He doesn't put qualifiers on who we're supposed to love. He doesn't say, all right, love people if they go to church with you at least one time a month. Love people if they are, you know, making sure they're getting their act together. You know, love people if they're not sleeping with their boyfriend or their girlfriend. Love people if they're following the rule. He, He doesn't put qualifiers on this. He says, no, 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 love one another. Whoever the other person is in your relationship and in your encounter, he says, you're called to love them. Whoever that is, guy, girl, black, white, gay, straight, Democrat, Republican, whatever. He says, hey, you know what? Love them. That's what they should experience from you. Jesus doesn't put qualifiers on who we're supposed to love, but he does put qualifiers on how we're supposed to love. In this passage right here, he says, hey, you know what? I want you to love one another. And then he says, just as I have loved you. He says, I want you to love people the way that I have loved you. I don't want you to love them in just some general way. I don't want you to just love them like in your head where you're like, yeah, I love you. You know, like he's like, no, no, no. I want you to actually love them the way that I have loved you. There's a very specific way that I want you to love them. In in our church, the church that I work at, uh, we call this the platinum rule. Right, y'all have heard the golden rule, which is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But then we, we took it a step forward. The platinum rule that Jesus puts into play right here is do unto others as Christ has done unto you. Right? 
This is what Jesus is putting into effect right here in this passage, right? He's saying, hey, you know what? Like, love one another, but I want you to love them in a very specific way. I want you to love them in the way that I have loved you. And you've got to imagine, you guys, what, what these guys are thinking when they hear this. You've got to put yourselves in their shoes as they're hearing Jesus say, I want you to love other people the way that I have loved you. Because what had to have come to mind when they're hearing this is the radical way in which Jesus had loved each and every one of these guys. When these guys are hearing this, right, and Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, hey, John, hey, Matthew, I want you guys to love one another. I want you to love other people. I want you to love one another the way that I have loved you. What's coming to mind is, hey, you know what? Whoa, Jesus loved us in a really, really radical way. When other people excluded us, Jesus invited us. When other people had written us off, Jesus saw potential. When other people didn't want anything to do with us, Jesus sought us out and made sure we knew we belonged. When other people got tired and impatient with us, Jesus was patient and stuck with us through all of our faults and our failures. When we were stumbling along trying to figure it out, Jesus stuck with us. That's the way that he's calling us to love others. That's powerful, you guys. That's powerful. And Jesus says the same thing to us. That, hey, you know what? Like the way that, that, that he's loved us is the way that we're called to love one another. He doesn't put qualifiers on who we're called to love. It's everyone. But he does put qualifiers on how. He says, love one another just as I have loved you. You guys, the most Christ-like thing you can do is to love the person next to you exactly the way that Jesus has loved you. And in that way, you guys, as we love one another like Jesus has loved us, then the world can begin to believe that God is for them when we're for them. You guys, that's my story. That's where my story took a turn. You see, I told you guys that I didn't grow up in church and that as a senior in high school, I walked away from church. And I stayed away from church, right? All through my senior year, all through my freshman year of college, I did whatever freshmen in college who don't know Jesus do. I just sowed my wild oats. I was like, hey, downtown. And so I did my thing, right? And so, and so I, was, I was doing my thing, and by the end of my freshman year of college, I was, I was whatever, and I came back home to, to, to stay the summer at my parents' house, and my mom said, hey, you're not just going to sit around and play Xbox all summer, and I'm like, Meh. you know, like, and she said, no, 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 you're going to get a job, you got to get a job, and so I was applying places, I couldn't find a job, and my mom came back to me one day, she said, all right, I got this guy, he owns a landscaping business, and he says you can work for him. Take my shirt off and mow the grass. Hey, you know. And so I was like, all right. So I said, all right, I can do that. So she introduces me to this guy, and his name is Gus. She, and you guys, right away, I knew that there was something different about Gus. Like, one, Gus was weird, right? Like, dude was weird. He, like, blared Christian music. Like, yeah, you know, God is an awesome God. And I was like, whoa, like, what is this, right? This dude was like, he was kind of weird. But, but it was very obvious that he loved Jesus, right? Like, like he was unlike any Christian that I'd ever met. Like the way that he talked about God was so personal. It was like he had a real relationship with him. It was like, whoa, like this is so different. He would talk about like how God had spoken things to him and how he would spend time in prayer with God. And he would, he would talk about things that he was learning in the Bible and how he was, you know, trying to live out things that he'd learned at church. And I was like, what? Like, 
I thought Christians just used Bibles as like put them on their coffee table or what? Like I didn't know any Christians that actually read their Bible. You know, like I was like, what? Like this is so different. This guy is this guy is radical. Gus would Gus would ask me about things that he could pray for. He would say, Hey man, what can I pray for? And then a couple of days later, he would follow up with me. And I was like, what? You actually did that? I thought that was just what Christians said. Like, oh, I'll pray for you, brother. I'm like, psych. You know, like, I was like, wait a minute. Like, like, you actually did that? And he would, like, follow up with these things. And I was like, man, there's something just so different about him, right? There would be days, right, Mondays especially, when I would come in late, still smelling like the party that I had been at the night before. And, and even though I was late, and even though I was a mess, and even though I looked and smelled a mess, he would put his arm around me, and he would tap me on the shoulder, and he would say, I'm glad you're here. Let's get to work. He accepted me and loved me and forgave me and didn't judge me. He didn't necessarily condone all my behavior, but he didn't cast me out because of it. There was something radically different about this Gus. Every single week, Gus would do this thing. He would invite me to a Bible study that he had at his house, and it was with high school kids. And I was like, no, nah, bro, I can't hang out with high school kids. Right? I'm in college. right? Like, and so I was like, no, I, I, no I'm not going. And then every single week he would invite me and he would say, hey, bro, you want to come this week? No, right? And, uh, and, and rather than getting discouraged, right, which a lot of us do, he, he wouldn't get discouraged. He would go, all right, maybe next week. And, and it wouldn't even phase him. Some of y'all, you invite a person one time to see 12. They're like, no, thank you. You're like, okay. You know, like, no, 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 dude. He, he did not. He, he would go, all right, maybe next week. And that would be it. Next week he'd be like, you want to come this week? Nope, don't want to come. All right, maybe next week. And just he just kept inviting. He was persistent, but not in a way that was like pushy. Like he wasn't like, all right, see you in hell. Like it wasn't like that. You know what I mean? It was like, it was like in such a, it was such an invitational, like you were like, man, nothing phases this guy. Like he's comfortable in his own skin. It was just, it was cool. And so he did that all summer. I said no to him probably a thousand times because I didn't want to go to his Bible study. And at the end of the summer, summer's drawn to a, a close, and towards the end there, he finally, he says, he says, hey, man, I, I want to invite you to come uh, to this event, right? It's like, a, it's like a youth rally, you know, like, and so he was like, I want you to come to this youth rally event, and my mentor is speaking, and he was like, it would mean a lot to me if you would come, and I was like, man, he pulled that card on me. <laughs> you guys, this guy had loved me so well. He had communicated by his actions that he was for me so well that I felt like, man, I owe it to this guy to show up. I owe it to this guy to show up. So I showed up, and I sat in the very back of the room. It was a room similar to this. I sit in the very back. This person gets up to speak. This lady gets up to speak, and she starts spitting. And have you ever had that moment where you feel like the pastor is just, like, talking just to you? You're like, yo, whoa, what? Stop. Ah, you know, like, this is what's happening. I'm like, yeah, like, like, why is she doing this to me right now? And it feels like she's just a bam, bam, bam. Like, just, I mean, just reading my mail, right? I'm just like, oh. and, uh, and And I start to get like that, like, like my heart is like, oh. and, um, and I start to get that lump. Fellas, you know what I'm talking about? Where you're like, I'm not going to cry, you know, like. And I'm like, I got this like, uh, I'm like fighting it with everything. I'm like, I'm not crying in front of these Christians, you know, like. And so I'm like, I'm like, like feeling that lump and I'm fighting it. And, uh, and I just, I mean, like I, I just remember she does this whole thing where she's like, all right, now with every head bowed and all eyes closed. 
if you want to come to know Jesus, come to the front. And I remember, you guys, at this point, I stood up, and I know people are like, oh, he's getting saved. And then I walked out, and I left. Oh, (laughs) circle button, what? Like, I mean, I just faked him. They thought he's about to go down the aisle, peace, you know. I was like, I am not crying in front of these people, and I'm not going down near that lady that was reading my mail, you know. So I just remember, I left, right? I left. I left, and Gus followed up with me on Monday, and he was like, man, what'd you think? Now, this, at this point, I'm trying to play it hard, you know. I'm like, it was I. <laughs> I mean, I mean, whatever, right? Like, I was like, like and, uh, and he's like, okay. And so we're just driving. We're driving in the truck. And uh, I don't know what came over me, you guys. I mean, Maybe now I would say it was the Holy Spirit, but, um, but man, all of a sudden we get a little ways down the road and just these questions that I've had pent up for years just start fumbling out of my mouth. And I start saying, man, if God's so good, then why did my aunt die at 32 of cancer and leave a six-year-old? If God's so good and God's so real, then why did my mom get cancer when I was in eighth grade? If God's so good and God's so real and he really changes people, then why do all the Christians that I know seem so fake and hypocritical and why do they treat me like crap? I said, man, what's up with that? And you guys, it was crazy. Gus was so gracious. He was, he was so incredible. He didn't have the best explanations, but in that moment, he was an incredible example to me. And he answered the questions that he could answer. And for other things, he just said, Mary, I don't know. I don't know. And can I be honest, it was refreshing for a Christian to tell me, I don't know. It was so refreshing for them to not give me some BS answer that they were trying to make up. Like, (laughs) but just to say, I don't know. I was like, thank you. Me either. (laughs) It was nice. And in that moment, right, like, like uh, the questions came, and, and for the next two weeks, the questions kept coming, conversation kept coming. came to be the last week that I was going to be in town. And I don't know what came over Gus, but we're driving, and uh, he finally just, he says, hey, Reed, I got to know something. And I'm like, oh, what? And he's like, where are you at with Jesus? I'm nervous, y'all, like literally like nervous, like middle schooler on their first date, sweaty palms, like, oh, like my heart is beating in my chest, and it was like, y'all, I couldn't even look at him. I couldn't even look at him. I just had my head just looking at the floorboard of his truck. I remember just tears running down my face. I remember I said, dude, I don't think God could love me. I said, I don't think God could love me. I said, I'm not like those Christian kids. I didn't do the church thing. I don't even have a Bible that I read. I said, I don't think God could love me. And at that point, Gus just pulls the truck over. Right there, um, Highway 20, where 20 and 85 are. Pulls the truck over. And he says, Reed, you're exactly the kind of person that Jesus would die for. You're exactly the kind of person that God would love. You're exactly the kind of person that belongs in the family of God. And you guys, you know what? In that moment, 
I believed him. And the reason why I believed him when Gus told me that God loved me was because Gus had loved me. And the reason why I believed that God could be for me is because first Gus had been for me. So right there on the side of the road on Highway 20, I gave my life to Jesus sitting there in the truck, little Mexican dude in the back, like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> like, you know, you know at this point. He didn't even speak English. He just was like, white people are so weird. It was crazy. That's how I came to know Jesus. That's how I came to believe that God was for me and that God's love could be for me because of the actions of one person that chose to love me and be for me first. And so what I want to tell you guys is that if the world's going to know that God is for them, we've got to be for them. And if the world's going to know that God's love is for them, then we've got to show love for them. And we've got to take Jesus seriously when he says, hey, you know what? Like, love is what you should be known for the most. Love isn't what we're always known for the most, is it? But it should be. And it could be. And it might just make all the difference in the world. You never know who's looking at your life to try to figure out what God is like. You never know what person... God is putting in your life in order for you uh, to be an example of Jesus to them. You never know who your life is communicating to, you guys. And so uh, here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that the world doesn't need better explanations of Jesus. I'm convinced that what the world needs is better examples. I'm convinced that the world doesn't need better explanations of Jesus but the world needs better examples. That's what I learned from Gus because his example and his actions were what compelled me and opened up my eyes and my heart to understand that God could be for me and that God could love me. And so my question to you guys is, what example are you setting? Christians in the room, what are your actions communicating to others? Do people know what you're for or do they only know what you're against? Are we communicating our love for one another in a way in which people understand that God is for them? I don't know. And I can't answer that question for you. But what I want, us to, what I, what I want to leave us with tonight is what's a good first step? How do we start doing that? How do we begin to show our love for others? What does that look like for us to love people like Jesus? The Apostle Paul wrote some great things about what love looks like when you live it out. And one of his most famous passages comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I asked Gus as I began following Jesus, this is so uh, crazy, I asked Gus, I said, Gus, I want to make a difference on other people the way that you've made a difference on me. Where do I start? And this is the passage that he pointed me to. And he said, Reed, if you want to know what love looks like lived out, go to this passage, and this passage will help you along the way. So I want to read this passage to you and then I want to give you guys the same advice Gus gave me and then we'll pray and we can, we can sing some more to Jesus. And so um, this is what the passage reads. It says, love, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, and it endures 
all things. When I asked Gus, I said, Gus, I want to make a difference on somebody's life. I want to be an example of Jesus to somebody. I want to love people like Jesus has, has loved me. What does that even look like? How do I do it? He said, we go to that passage and then be honest with yourself and see, does that describe you? He said, if you want to know if you're living and loving like Jesus, go to that passage. And then he said, put your name in the place where love is. And he said, and read it back to yourself and see if that describes you. And so from time to time, what I like to do is I go back to this passage and I'll, and I'll read it like this. Read is patient and kind. Read does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. He doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but he rejoices with the truth. Reed bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things, and he endures all things. And then I take a second, and I do some self-inventory, and I say, does that passage describe me accurately? Where am I struggling when it comes to that passage? And then I pray, and I say, God, would you help me? Would you help me in this area? Because you guys, can you imagine if that passage described us as Christians? Can you imagine if that passage is what came to mind when people thought about you or when people thought about Christianity or when people thought about the church? Can you imagine if that were true? Can you imagine the difference it would make in your family, right? If you were able to go back and live that out towards your siblings or towards your parents or towards your step-parents or whatever that looks like, can you imagine if you were able to go back in your house and be patient and be kind and be able to display those things and believing the best in them? Can you imagine if that were true of you? Can you imagine the difference it would make? It would be incredible. Can you imagine the difference that would make in your group of friends or in the people on your college campus? and the people on the sports team that you're a part of or whatever it is that you're a part of, can you imagine the difference that that would make if that passage described us? You guys, love isn't what we're known for the most, but it should be, and I believe that it can be. With Jesus' help, we have everything we need to live in love like Jesus. And so, in closing, for far too long, the church and Christians, we've been known for what we're against but it's time to show the world what we're for. And it's time for us to show the world that God is for them by how well we love them. Amen? Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much um, for your goodness and for your grace. Thank you that you love us and that you're patient with us as we stumble through life trying to figure out um, what it looks like to follow you.